Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for what you're building within us. I thank you that we are united. Lord, we are in unity around the mission of Jesus Christ. Not a meeting, but around the mission of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in so many of our hearts. Lord, and just stirring us about rest and intimacy. But at the same time, Lord, being obedient. You're stirring us in a culture that overemphasizes Sunday sermons and completely underemphasizes whether anybody ever walks it out. Lord, I thank you that you're shifting us and you are calling us. Hey, it's good. It's good for you, Steve, to do the things I ask you to do. It's good to walk in my way as I lead you and give you unction. So I thank you, Father, you're stirring us in that way, stirring our health, stirring our rest. Uh, stirring, Lord, in our marriages, our families, Lord, as we learn, learn to lay our lives down. We just thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. What Jesus say? You can't be my disciple unless you give up everything. In the Gospel of Luke, and he said, if the salt loses its flavor, don't go throwing it on a dung pile because you'll waste a good dung pile. <laughs> he really did. First Peter chapter two, verse one. We're talking about the centrality of Jesus. We're laying him as the foundation of our individual lives, our home family, our business, uh, our relationships, our church, our relationships beyond the church. We want Jesus to be everything. We are Jesus people, students of his, followers of him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. First Peter chapter two, verse one, NIV. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice. That's your desire to injure someone or repay someone for hurting you. Amen. Good play. We could close up and go home, couldn't we? Right there. Rid yourselves of all malice. All deceit and hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. But like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by man, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also like living stones. Everybody say living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be what? Here it is again. Cindy, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I'm being built. For in Scripture, it says, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. There it is. Everything's going to be built upon him. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Amen. Amen. We declared that this morning. Fear has got to go. Shame has got to go. Guilt has got to go. Condemnation has got to go. Only the devil himself would think that Jesus wasn't God enough to cleanse you of all your sin. So don't, don't agree with him. You are cleansed. You are free and forgiven in Christ and through his blood. I want you to recognize here he says that you are actually what's being built into a spiritual house. He uh, does not say, nowhere did Jesus say, let's fill the earth with church buildings. Let's fill the earth with Sunday morning church services, people. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fill the earth with Sunday morning church. 
No, he wants to fill the earth and fill God's people with the Spirit of God. He's building spiritual people. See, he said, let's get the Spirit of God inside all of humanity so that they can have seven days connection. Seven days communion with the Lord, not an hour on Sunday or whatever it may be. He wanted to bring the Spirit of God that had been lost in the Garden of Eden, our connection to the Father. He wanted to bring it back where we'd have this day-to-day, heart-to-heart, thought-to-thought relationship with the living God. Did you know that's always been the Father's desire is to build a people of the Spirit? God Himself is Spirit. And whoever worships Him, talks to Him, walks with Him, must do so in Spirit and in truth. So it's always been His desire to build spiritual houses, humans that he could dwell in. Now, you may say, Brother Steve, I've been coming for a little while and I love the life of the Spirit here in Grace Church. I love how you guys talk about the Spirit, but I just don't, I don't feel like I hear him all that well yet. I'm not there yet. Let me encourage you to sit with him in Scripture. Get in the, in the Bible. It's one of the great ways we can hear the voice of the Lord is the Bible, is Scripture. John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus said the purpose of Scripture is to bring you into relationship with Him. So it's not like, you know, Sylvia walks the aisle, gets born again, and we say, well, Sylvia, go home for a week and sit in the dark, come back, tell us what Jesus said. You know, there's a bridge, there's a pathway, a process whereby we can begin to sit in Scripture with the author and let Him speak to us through the Word. Amen. Now, I'm telling you, he's going to acclimate you to his voice. That's the purpose of the scriptures. But he speaks to you, your your spirit man, through scriptures. One of the ways that he does it. And then we don't graduate from the Bible. It's not like, well, I don't need the Bible anymore. You know, Stacy can hear the voice of the Lord, so she doesn't need the Bible anymore. No. The, the more and more she gets to know him, the more and more the author illumines the truth of this book. So anyway, I just say that to say there's places you can start. And if you struggle, we've got a lot of people here that can help you do what we call eat the word. It's where you just sit with the author in scripture. You know, when I was growing up, I first got saved. It was kind of like, hey, Steve, read a chapter a day. Well, all I was doing was reading it like a newspaper and then processing it intellectually apart from the Lord. So there's people here who can help you sit with the author in the scriptures. And begin to acclimate his voice. And why do I care about that? Because it's your birthright as a child, a born again, born of the spirit, child of God to hear God's voice. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds ongoing present tense out of the mouth of God. It's about relationship. Everybody say it's about relationship. All right, so it's always been the Father's desire to have a people of the Spirit, to build a people of the Spirit where He dwells in us, with us, among us, and then He leads us by the Spirit, by His Word, to do what? To choose His choices. Do you know the Spirit of God wants to divinely influence you on a daily basis to choose His choices? Like, you know, when your spouse is, you know, reading you the riot act, and you could respond totally in the flesh in anger and pride, or you can respond the way the Lord would want you to choose in Him. So He wants to always be influencing you to choose His choices. It's it's important that you stay yielded and open and available to Him. Not not work hard. Man, let me work hard to always respond the right way. How about you yield your heart to Him? 
participate with him on a daily basis and watch the fruit come forth. In this series, we've talked about being committed to his person. We want to be committed to the person of Jesus. We are Christians. We are Christ-centered people. We're Jesus people. So we're committed to his work. Uh, sorry, committed to his person, committed to his work, committed to his teaching, committed to his authority, and committed to uh, hear his voice. And in looking at his work, here's what we've looked at so far. I mean, as Jesus people, we need to know what he came to do. Why did Jesus come? Well, number one, he came to reintroduce God's kingdom to us by putting the Spirit of God back in us. That's how God rules. The Lord is the Spirit, and the, where the Spirit of the Lord is lording, there is liberty. He rules by the Spirit. And then that he might extend the Father's benevolent kingdom, loving kingdom through us. Number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Number three, he came to initiate the new covenant. When we take communion, remember every time Jesus started with, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood for the remission of all sin. He came to establish a new contract between God and man. Number four, this is where we were two weeks ago. Jesus came not to judge but for judgment. Interesting there. Judge is a verb, but judgment is a noun. So what we looked at was, there's three places in Scripture Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. Let's pick an easy one. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You guys know that. Okay, verse 17. For I didn't come into the world to judge the world, that, but that the world through Him would be saved. All right? And then in Luke chapter 9, he says the same thing. John chapter 12, he says the same thing. He didn't come to judge. But then in John 9, verse 39, you've got a whole discourse starting in verse 1 of John chapter 9 where the man who's born blind gets healed. Remember Jesus sent him to the pool of Siloam and he washed and he could see. I mean, if you like soap operas, read John 9. It is unreal what goes on. The Pharisees lose their minds. Because this guy is telling him, he starts preaching to them, how can Jesus be a sinner when he opened my eyes? Nothing like this has ever been done before. And of course their response is, how can you teach us anything? You were born in sin. So they think they're, you know, way better than him. And it's a whole self-righteous deal. Yeah, it's a stout statement when you think about that. So anyway, John 9 verse 39, Jesus tells the man born blind because they kicked him out of church. He was banned from the temple because he was healed, and then he tried to tell him Jesus is a good person. And Jesus says this, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who say they can see would be made blind, and those who are blind would be able to see. In verse 40, lightning flash brilliance, the Pharisees say, Are we blind? And he said, If you would admit that you were blind, your sins would be forgiven. But because you say you can see, And in other words, you don't have need of me or God for the remission of sins. Your sin remains on you. So Jesus came not to judge, but is there a judgment? Is there a verdict rendered when he's standing in front of two groups of people? The hard-hearted Pharisees, self-righteous, independent. I don't need God. I can work the system. I'll forgive my own sins. And then you've got the man born blind whose heart is palatable, humble, who acknowledges his need for God. So he didn't come to judge you, but your decision on who Jesus is, is your judgment. Because the word judgment here simply means a separation or a distinction. Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 19, let's go back there. I, I quoted 16 and 17. In verse 19, he says, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. 
So he's not here passing judgment and sentence on everybody, but his mere presence makes every human being answer this question and make a line of distinction. Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Or is he crazy? Is he somebody else? We all have to answer Jesus' personal question, which is this. Who do you say that I am? Does that make sense? Okay. He didn't come to judge you, but in your decision, a separation, a distinction is made that he either is who he says he is or he's not. Let's go to number five right here. Jesus came on mission. What else did he come to do? He came to make disciples. And why wouldn't he make disciples? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the pattern son. You know, he's not just the way to heaven. He's actually the way you and I are designed to live. He's the truth about us as human beings. This is why he called himself the son of man. He didn't want to just be identified as son of God. He also wanted to be identified as son of man. So you would recognize, hey, I need to follow this guy. Why is he in line to be water baptized with John the Baptist for remission of sins when he has no sin? He's the pattern son. He's talking to you. He's saying, follow me. I'm not just the way to heaven. I'm the way you're designed to live. I'm the path that human beings were created to walk. Filled with the Father's Spirit. Connected spirit to spirit. Doing what the Father asked to do. Saying what the Father asked to say. Amen. So, of course, if anybody's going to reproduce and make disciples of his own kind, it needs to be Jesus. I don't want disciples of Steve. We don't need any disciples of Jesus or Joe or Josh or whoever. We need disciples of Jesus, people who learn from Jesus to be like Jesus. Now, Josh and I can sow. Josh and I can water. Josh and I can help. But Jesus makes disciples. Jesus reproduces after his own kind, not me. Amen. Let's go to Matthew 4. Oh, sorry. I I want to give you this. You saw this last week. So a disciple here at Grace Church, this is what Jesus makes, someone who abides in Him. That means we live connected to Him. That's John 15. He invites you to intimacy with Him. And then the arrow goes to walk in His ways. So staying connected to Him, I begin to become like Him. Conform to his image. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you look and sound like him. Fair enough. But it's a supernatural work. It's not imitation. It's indwelling. All right. And then we go from uh, walking his ways to working his works. But we still are connected. I mean, you know, we can't work a work of God apart from God. All right. So we stay connected in all three. Abide, ways, and works. So let's go to Matthew 4, verse 18. Uh, we were in this last week. Gretchen uh, had this one up here for us. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. But then he said to them, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. High invite, high challenge. He invites you and, hey, follow me. Walk with me. Is he saying, Sylvia, get 10 feet behind me because I'm so much better than you? Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying, come alongside me. Fellowship with me. Koinonia. Partnership with me. Let's walk together. Let's be intimate together. Oh, and by the way, in our walking, I'm going to make you into what I've purposed you to be. 
Now, in this case, he uses fishers of men. But let's be honest. He's going to make us into spiritually alive people. That's the first step. You must be born again. He's going to make you spiritually alive and pass from spiritual death. He's going to make you into someone who lives connected to him. Because he's the vine and we're the branch. So we derive life from another. That's what a branch, the definition in science of a branch, we're going to derive life from another. So you need to derive it from him, the one who invented life. So we, he makes us into someone who lives connected to him. Number three, he makes you into someone who gets your identity, your value, and your worth from him and not the world. You're going to be hurting for certain. If you're still getting all your value and your identity and worth from what, you know, your mother-in-law said about you six years ago or an ex or somebody, you know, you, you got to lock on to the truest thing about me is who he says I am. So my identity is in him. He's making me into someone whose identity is in Christ. He's also making me into someone who puts God on display for others to see. See, what happens is, is you walk with him. He starts pouring what he cares about into your heart. You begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And so now, the more and more we grow to look like him, we're able to put God on display for others to see, that they they can see from our lives that God is approachable, God is trustable, that God through Jesus Christ is lovable, forgiving. Does this make sense? I mean, think about that. That's a sober thought that every day we're putting a version of God's nature on display for people to see. I pray that we're representing Him well. Not as God is scary. God will smite you. God will kill you and give your family cancer if you don't give them tithe or something. Woo, that's good. <laughs> and then what does He do? He makes us into someone who puts, other, puts God on display for others to see, and then He makes us into someone who disciples others. Who, what I mean by that, I mean you care about others. You intentionally invest in their abiding in Jesus. You want to get people connected to him because he's the greatest thing you've ever found. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Does that make sense to you? He makes you into someone that disciples others intentionally. See, the beauty of uh, Matthew 4 is, see where he said, follow me and I will make you? Who does the making? He does. How many disciples can you and I make? (laughs) Zero. But we can encourage people to follow him and come under his leadership where he can make them into who they're destined to be. Now, I had to learn this the hard way because I, uh, 1994, I got my first job at a church, had no business taking this job. Stacey will vouch for me. But 1994, I was outreach pastor, evangelism pastor, and so one of my roles was we got to get people saved. And what I figured out over a course of time was I couldn't save anyone. I didn't have the ability. And I, I wore all this pressure on me. I wanted people to get saved because I thought I'm supposed to get people saved. And then the Lord stopped me one day, dead in my tracks. Guess what he said? He said, Steve, let me help you. You cannot save anyone. Only I can make spirit-born sons and daughters after my own kind. It's the principle of like begets like. I am spirit. Only I can beget a spirit-born son or daughter from me. 
So let me release you from all the pressure that you have to go out and save everybody. How about you do this? How about you sow? How about you water? How about you teach? How about you preach? How about you proclaim? How about you share? And how about you model me for others? Amen. Amen. So it's the same reality in making disciples. I can't make one, but can I intentionally invest? Can I teach, which is explain him? Can I preach, which is proclaim him? Yes. And most importantly, can I model? Can I serve? Can I love? Now it takes you out of the production metric. What do you say in John 15? If we abide in him, what happens? We bear much fruit. Yeah. If we abide in him, we bear much fruit as the byproduct. So I'm not running after the emphasis on fruit. I'm running after him and then trusting him to do the making. Now, if you Google the word discipleship, you're going to get about 8 million results. And that's, I'm, that's factual. You'll get about 8 million results. There's a lot being said about discipleship right now. There's a lot being said about uh, making disciples and the church has got to get its act together and things like that. Dwayne Sheriff was talking about making disciples. Jacob Sheriff was talking about the other day, guys I listened to. Churches around here talking about discipleship. Uh, there's a lot to be said. And let me say this. In the New Testament, the word Christian is in there twice. The word disciple is in there 268 times. I think it's fair to say that in America, we're not supposed to be making Christians. I don't know how we got, we got to this idea of let's all be Christian. Two-thirds of the country claim to be Christian, but how many of them are actually born again, Christ-filled? I mean, we have more church members and church attenders in America than we do born-again Christ followers. And yet disciple is in there 268 times. So I'm not sure Jesus came to make, quote, worldly Christians as we see it, but I think he came to make disciples, students, learners, followers of his. And I'll tell you straight up, he's he's the greatest thing I've ever found. I got to be honest with you. I remember um, I was about 11 years old. And I went into my brother Mike's room, who was about 17. He had this push pin board in there. And I don't know why, but he had a picture of Jesus, about this big, this tall, pinned into the cushion board. And at 11 years old, I walked in there, and I looked at Jesus on that wall. I still remember it, that picture. And he had such love in his eyes. It's a great picture. And the, it was, the backdrop was the universe, stars and all that. Something in me said, I want to be like him. Something in me connected that that he is the way for me to go. And now I'm 50. And look what he's done. I didn't walk out of that room saying I was going to be a disciple. But something did happen in me. Something left within me that I wanted to be like him. That he had the goods. You know what I'm saying? And so along this course of journey, what has he done? As I followed him, what has he done? He's made me spiritually alive. He's made me someone who lives connected to him. He's made me someone who gets his identity from Christ and not the world. He's made me uh, into someone who puts God on display for others to see. And he's made me now into someone who cares about discipling others, who wants other people to live connected to him. I'm not just... A born-again, Christ-filled person that loves Jesus and I love to be intimate with Jesus and I love to sit with Jesus and be loved by Jesus. All that's awesome, right? 
I mean, righteous and pure and loved. I'm also a disciple of Jesus. He's shifting my mindset. I'm a disciple of Jesus who's also masquerading as the senior pastor of Grace Church. You, you handled that about like first service. Let me say it again. What I'm saying is my, my identity has always been I'm loved, I'm righteous, I'm his, and, and rightfully so, intimacy. But I'm also a disciple of his. I'm a student of his who wants to invest in others to see them connect to him. And so I like to say it that way. I'm a disciple of Jesus masquerading as the senior pastor of Grace Church. <laughs> I thought it was good. Anyway, let's go to Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. There's a lot of opinions. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, all authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. You know what that means? That means whatever authority you guys have as, you know, well, I'm a boss out of Tinker or I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm, I'm this, I've got authority at my school or, This says all authority belongs to him. So whatever authority you think you have, I would encourage you to understand that you need to report back to him because it ultimately belongs to him. You're simply a steward of whatever authority it is you think you're walking in. All authority on this planet, I don't care if it's a tinker, ultimately belongs to him. And when we have that mindset, I think it helps us be better stewards of how we treat people. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Let's do it together. Don't make me spectate. Don't watch, don't let me watch you burn out trying to be like me without me. Let's do it together. And I know what you're thinking right there in verse 19. You're like, Steve, he said, go make disciples. He told us to do it. Well, if you eat that word, it's a verb. Go disciple is what he said. Go disciple. Go invest. Go teach. Go preach. Go care. Some of your relationships may be at work, so it may be from a distance, but you present him. You sow him. You invest him. Other relationships, you may have them to your house. Every Saturday night at 7 o'clock, five people that come over and walk with you to get to know Jesus better. Does that make sense? Just different levels of relationship. Discipleship's about relationship. That's what Jesus modeled. If you have a brother, that's a relationship. If you have an aunt, that's a relationship. If you have a dad, that's a relationship. In discipleship, it's a relationship. You have a relationship with someone. Some of them will be more distant than others, but all of it's the same. What is it? Well, I'm going to go disciple. I'm going to invest. I'm going to present him. I'm going to teach. I'm going to preach. I'm going to do the things, listen, as he leads me to. Not, Lord, I went witnessing today. Why didn't you bless what I was doing? And then he says, well, I never told you to go. I told you to go over there and take care of your mother-in-law. Does that that make sense? What I mean is we need to do the things he's asking us to do, not do religious things and ask him to bless what we're doing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we should do nothing. Okay, so how about this one? In making disciples, Jesus gave us a model where the reality of his life, love, and lordship could be reproduced in others via intentional investment. And that's, again, what I call relationship. He needs 
His life is what needs to be reproduced in people. Nobody's a disciple because they're just doing everything you say. His life is what must be evident through their receptivity and surrender on a daily basis. And so in this model here, he gives us where his life, love, and lordship is reproduced, where his spirit now, like a contagion, I like to use that because of COVID, like a contagion could spread through our hearts, our families, our marriage, our culture, transforming everyday people like us into what? Fully devoted, fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. Not just fans, not just admirers. Wow, he's really something but followers of Jesus Christ. It's a relational process he modeled where he challenges us to come to him. Come unto me. Learn from me. Walk with me. Follow me. And then I'll make you into what I purpose you to be. Jesus showed us that discipleship is an intentional investment in the lives of others, inviting them to do what? Abide. Live connected to him. Walk in his ways. Become more like him. And then work his works. Gretchen had put up last week about come and follow. That was first. Then come and die. Then I don't call you servants. I call you friends, confidants. I'm confiding in you. And I'll share more on that later. And then number four, go disciple. Let's work together to go disciple. She had given those to you last week. And Stacy asked me this past week, where do you think we're at as a church in the way of discipleship? I think absolutely come and follow. I I think we're learning to live connected to him. That Jesus is not a Sunday morning for an hour thing. He's all day, every day. We can live connected spirit to spirit. Derive our life from Him. Derive our words from Him. Derive our thoughts from Him. Okay? So I think that's where we are. We're getting secure. How about that new covenant lens? Are you grateful to know that uh, your lawless deeds, He remembers no more? That's the fifth term of the new covenant contract, and God can't lie. If he says he doesn't remember them, he doesn't remember them. Number four is, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness and your big pieces of stupid. It's a good one. Number three, I'll come inside of you and I'll teach you from within by my spirit. Number two, you'll be my child. I'll be your father. I'll walk with you. We'll do this together. Number one, first term of the new covenant, I'm going to write my spirit in your heart and in your mind and come inside. So so living by this new covenant lens is crucial. Intimacy is crucial. Fellowship with Jesus is crucial because where is he taking you after come and follow? Come and die. And when you start seeing things, hey, wait a second, I got things in my life that don't look like Jesus. Let's don't give an opportunity for condemnation. Let's understand he loves us and that he's committed to the process, that he's with us always, even seeing it through to the end. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You're not going to be God's first failure. If he who began the work in you, he'll complete it, then trust in him, walk with him through the process. And then when you see things that don't look like Jesus, you don't fall apart. You say, Lord, I welcome it. I just want to look like you. I just want to look like you. So he invites us into abide ways and works. Gavin said it this way. I love this statement. It's about knowing him. That's abide. Showing him, that's ways I start to look like him, and then sowing him. Work the works of the Lord. Amen. All right, let me walk you through abide ways and works real quick. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my 
voice opens the door, I will come where? Into him. And you can eat that word. It literally means come inside. He penetrates your heart and spirit with his heart and spirit. Come into him and dine with him and he with me. And of course, the word dine there means I'm inviting you to intimate connection. So this is a buy. This is your first invitation. Hey, come to me. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me? Here's another one. This is fantastic. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You've not been called to be a church member. You're not called to just attend a church service. Technically, biblically, you are the church. You don't go to church. You are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been called into fellowship with Him. This word fellowship in the Greek, koinonia. Are you ready? Here's what it means. Partnership. Uh, fellowship. Contributory helper. One who participates with and shares with. Wow. You've been called into that level of intimacy with his son. That's come and walk with me. That's abiding. If you're a disciple, what do you do? You abide. And you, you respond to the invitation to fellowship with Jesus. Say, Brother Steve, well, I don't know, man. I just feel like my salt's losing its flavor. Then live connected. Keep receiving. He's always with you. It's not like when you flesh out, he's not in there. He's still in there, but turn your receivers back on. Stop deriving death from the world or drama all around you and derive life from him. Isn't that good? Because Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, He said, what good is salt if it loses its flavor? It's not even good to be thrown on the dung pile because you're wasting good dung with flavorless salt. Literally, that's what He said. But isn't it crazy? We live in a society that overemphasizes Sunday morning sermons and way underemphasizes whether anybody lives them out. He's like, man, I went to church. I heard a great sermon. Who cares? Are you living out the things he's asking you to do? Are you living out the reality of your fellowship? He's not asking you to earn intimacy with him, but he does ask you to participate with it. And that's how we define faith here is participation. Faith is not you doing religious things so God will give you something. Faith is your receptivity and participation with what's already been appropriated to you. Faith doesn't appropriate anything or doesn't make it be appropriated. Faith appropriates what he's already made available. It allows you to participate with the truth. My goodness, I love that because you're already called to intimacy and fellowship with him, partnership, koinonia, live the reality of it, live the truth. Aren't you glad he didn't say go earn it? I mean, how much is enough? All right, so it's already yours. You have it. And then we move from abiding to ways, which is where we become more and more like him. We're being conformed to his image. Look at First Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in how much? All your conduct, because it's written, be holy for I am holy. You're my follower, be like me. I'm holy, let my holiness be seen in you. 
You do not strive to be holy, but you do surrender to the holiness of Christ that's in you. And where did he get that from? Luke 6.40. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone who's perfectly trained is like his teacher. So in uh, ways, he's making you more and more like him. Becoming more and more like him. Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. What's your destiny? To look like Jesus. Every human being, this is true of. And it's marvelous in our eyes. You want to know why? Give me one principle, one attitude, one emotion, one uh, lifestyle habit Jesus demonstrated that's not health-giving and life-producing for a human being. How about unconditional love? Is that healthy for us? Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, forgiveness. Those are all healthy to us. So in his love for us, he's telling you this is your destiny to look like me. I'm not just the way to heaven. I'm the way you're designed to live. I'm the truth about you. I've never met anybody who's told his doctor, man, I spent all weekend in unconditional love. I just had joy. I had peace. I was great to everybody and I'm sick as a dog because of it. Just made me totally sick, all that love that was going on in my body. (laughs) Whose image are you made in? God's image. You're made in God's image. So whatever looks good on Him looks good on you. But you weren't able to manifest love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness without Him. So He died for you so that the Spirit of Him could come inside of you and then begin to express real love, real joy. Does that make sense? Matthew 22, I love this uh, analogy when Jesus said, show me the money. It wasn't Tom Cruise. It was Jesus who said it first. He said, show me the money. And they brought him the coin. You know, they were trying to trick him with the, the taxes. And he said, whose image is on this coin? And he said, Caesar's. He said, well, whatever's got Caesar's image on it, it's got to be rendered back to Caesar. But whatever has God's image on it, it's got to be given back to God. That's why, that's why every human being is made for him. We didn't make ourselves. We're home in him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let us see it by the Spirit. And so he says, Conform the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word firstborn is prototype in the Greek. Basically, Ford makes a Ford Mustang. It's the prototype of all the other Fords that look just like it. Jesus is the pattern son, people. He's the one that we are to be looking like, acting like, living like, but again, not apart from him, letting him express himself through us. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. Look at what he's done to make it all happen. Okay, so that's number two. That's ways. We're on our way to looking more and more like him. And then the last one is we're going to work his works. Just a refresher for you right there. We're talking about abide, scriptures, ways, looking more like Jesus, and then works. It's a process. Everybody say it's a process. So in this last one, though, on working his works, John fifteen fifteen. no longer do I call you servants, Jesus said. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. That's literally covenant brother confidant, uh, intimate, personal, close relationship. Why? Because everything I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. He's confiding in you. He gets you living connected to Him. Then He begins to make you more and more like Him. Then He starts pouring in the Father's dream into your heart. And we become partners. Amen. 
Verse 16, he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that whatever you ask my father in my name, literally in my stead, as my representative, that he would grant it for you. My goodness. Come and follow. Walk with me. Come and die. Let's work on some things. Then let's be friends. I'm going to confide. And then go disciple. Go invest. Last thing, good leadership. Good leadership honestly answers this question. Where are we at right now? And where are we headed? Well, I believe here at Grace Church, as I said earlier, the Lord is bidding us to answer His call, His invitation to walk with Him, come and follow, to live connected, to live abiding in Him. We talked two weeks ago that we have to make a distinction in our heart about who is Jesus really. Is He who He says He is? Is He God as He says He is? But we have to make the same distinction today. Make an honest assessment of yourself. Am I a follower of Jesus? And remember, there's no condemnation in this. This is Him lovingly inviting us somewhere. Lord, is there a deeper level, like I mentioned with Ezekiel 47, where discipleship's concerned and really following and surrendered life to Jesus? Am I ankle deep? Am I knee deep? Am I waist deep? Or am I all the way in this river? fully giving myself to Him because we have to make that assessment I think for us to get to where He wants us to be. So this last Wednesday I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning and when I can't sleep I turn on uh, teaching, preaching or worship. So I turned on the C.S. Lewis Institute because this guy was lecturing on discipleship. I thought this sounds good. Never even heard of this guy. It's boring. Wow. <laughs> it's boring. And we're like 10 minutes in, but this guy says, I want to play you this clip from this pastor in California. I never even heard of this guy before, this pastor in California. And guys, it shook me what, what he said. He said, in Scripture, there are strangers to Jesus, and then there are admirers to Jesus. And then there are actual followers of Jesus. And he said, here in the West, in America, we probably add users. Now, I would say benefactor. In other words, Jesus kind of works for us. We like Jesus because he keeps us healthy and gets us jobs and, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh, Gavin, you guys can come. But listen, listen to what this guy said. This is so powerful. How many of you remember when Michael Phelps won eight gold medals? I don't know how long ago that was, 10 years ago or something. Anyway, he said the night that Michael Phelps won eight gold medals and all that began to unfold in the Olympics, he said, I guarantee you there was a little boy somewhere in America and probably more than one, but there's a little boy watching Michael Phelps swim, watching Michael Phelps get the gold, watching Michael Phelps all this unfold whose blood uh, began to pump whose mind began to race, whose heart leapt within him, who said within himself, I want to be like Michael Phelps. I want to be like him. And so what did he do? Well, 
We don't know it yet. It'll be, it'll be unfolded as he gets older, but he's in the pool every day. He's reading every day. He's studying every day. He wants to be Michael Phelps. He wants to emulate him, be just like him. I can do what Michael Phelps did. There's something in me that compels me. That's my path. He said, you know what that kid is? He's a follower of Michael Phelps. He said, now me, I never went to the pool. I didn't get a pool. I don't have the books. I haven't been studying. But do I admire Michael Phelps? Sure. He said, that's where most of America is. We admire Michael Phelps. And then he said, that's where most of the church is with Jesus. We admire Jesus Christ. But are we really following him? Have have we responded to that unction in us that says, I want to be like him. Just like when I was 11, I saw that picture like something lit inside of me. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. He talked about, you know, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking you know there's people in that crowd that admired him. But there's others in that crowd. Something leapt within them and said, I want to follow him. He talked about the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler admired Jesus. He came out to find Jesus. And, of course, Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And he went away sad. Why? Because he's an admirer. He's not a follower of Jesus. He admires what he does and what he did. Nicodemus. Why did Nicodemus come to see Jesus at night? What did he not want people to know? Right. That he was that he a potential follower. But then after Jesus is killed, Nicodemus helps get him down and all that stuff. He didn't care anymore. He was a follower at that point. At first he was an admirer. Then he became a follower. I think the Lord's asking us here at Grace Church want to be admirer of Jesus? Do you want to follow me? Will you walk with me? Will you let me form myself in you? Will you partner with me to work the works of the Lord together? And then here's the beautiful part. As all this is unfolding at three o'clock in the morning at my house, guess what Jesus spoke to me as clear as a bell in my spirit? He said, Steve, do you know what the weakness of Michael Phelps is? I said, no. He said, he can't shuck his earth suit and go put himself in that boy and swim through him. But that's what I did for you. I shucked my earth suit, sent you my same spirit. I'm going to love through you. I'm going to teach through you. I'm going to minister through you. And I'm going to advance the gospel through you. Come on, somebody. Amen. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory, glory, glory to his name. This is where he's calling us. Are we a disciple? Will we follow him? The world's going to do what the world's going to do. Guys, accept his invitation to walk with him, become more and more like him, and partner with him. Let's let's see some great things happen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Steve, I've never accepted Jesus. I, I didn't even know you could be born of the Spirit. But I want to receive him his life and his spirit inside of me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me, Brother Steve. I want to be born again. Anyone? You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom, one heart at a time. For more, visit us online at gracechurch.community.